back, everybody, to another episode of Going for Two, the official podcast of the Extra Points newsletter. I'm your intrepid host, Matt Brown, publisher of said newsletter. I'm joined here, as always, by my co-host, Brian Fisher. Hey, holding up, Brian. I'm doing fantastic. You know, I'm, I'm excited. I, I joined Team Pfizer this weekend, so I'm, I'm excited about that. I, I, I cannot. Uh, I'm over the moon about that, but also excited because it, it, it's you know, we're getting into the final four phase of, of March Madness and uh, some exciting games on, on that front and uh, really an exciting time for college athletics. Because like we talked about in that last episode, the those Alston arguments are, are coming up around the corner. So tons going on right now in the college athletics space. This is a good time to be excited. I am excited for you. I'm also jealous that, that it seems like every other reporter person I know is getting that sweet, sweet vaccine juice pulsating through their veins right now. And I have not been able to do that yet here in Chicago. Hopefully, hopefully that changes soon. Um, but but you're right. Yeah, we, we got the Austin episode last week. That's then and those those arguments are going to be happening here shortly, could change everything. We've had some great basketball. Um, early, early round of the men's tournament, notwithstanding, particularly the, an Oral Roberts Ohio State game, and we'll forget. But there's been some really exciting high level women's basketball, which I typically don't watch a whole lot of in the regular season. And that's not an indictment on the women's game. That's more of I don't really watch a lot of college basketball during the regular season anymore now that I'm not paid to. Um, there's been some really exciting men's basketball games, a couple of upsets, a couple of changes. I want to talk about that a little bit because this happens every year. A little bit less so on the women's side, but but more so on the men's side. That's typically some small school comes out of nowhere and wins a game or two. We had we had a, that a couple of times this year, right? We had Loyola, although they didn't really come out of nowhere. They made a Final Four a couple of years ago. They were like a top fifteen Kempom team. They knock off a great Illinois team. They make a Sweet Sixteen run. Uh, there's some State University, Oregon State, I think is how you pronounce it. They, they they've made themselves a little bit of a run. We've made all the Oral Roberts jokes. Um, and then you know, we also, it's easy to almost forget about this because the news cycle has moved on so much since then. Abilene Christian didn't just like win a game, which is unusual because this school was like a Division II program a decade ago. But they've made the tournament now twice in three years. And the team that they beat was Texas. Like, could you imagine being a Division II team? Like moving up and then one, you could play basketball for like 70 years and never win an NCAA tournament game. Or if you're William and Mary, never make the NCAA tournament. And then to beat the gigantic behemoth flagship program in your state and send that coach all the way to Wisconsin. That's amazing. How could you possibly like draw up a better story than that if you're an athletic director? That's why you go from division two to division one, right? Absolutely. I mean, and and just inside the state of Texas, how, how the shockwaves reverberated from that lone game right there, and not just in terms of the the alumni fan bases kind of sniping at each other. And, and let's face it, if you're a Texas fan or an, a Texas alum, a Texas ex, um, you know, you might know one or two at, at the most Texas, uh, you know, Abilene Christian alums, but you definitely heard from them in the wake of that upset. And you think of the reverberations from games like that. Look, Shaka Smart might not be at Marquette right now if Texas ends up winning that game. I mean, you, you think of going down the road, all the implications that, that end up happening. Somebody's going to lose their coach because Texas is now in a, in a basketball search. Um, you know, and I think it's going to be fascinating to see uh, just how how big that one game and, and that one upset can, can have, have an effect not only on the university, but on these athletic programs outside of them as well. Yeah, it's like four different schools are going to get caught up in this. And, and if you happen to be an ACU grad, I hope you talked a ridiculous amount of trash. You don't get a chance to do that very much. I remember if you're a low major grad in general, I remember 
I spent my freshman year at American University, little little DC, little private school in DC. They're in the Patriot League, not a great athletic department history. And I think this was in like 2008 or 2009, they made the NCAA tournament. And if I remember correctly, they, they gave Villanova a scare. And I was living in Columbus at this point. I transferred back to Ohio State. And I made sure literally everybody that I talked to was now made aware of American University and that I went there and that their, their um, slow pace, Princeton offense, un- unwatchable brand of basketball was going to beat Villanova. And therefore, I was actually a more... Um, academically rigorous and, and dare I say righteous person for having attended that school. Um, of course, now I, I can't feel that way because they're like six in the Patriot league and, and they're, they haven't been the tournament in a while, but like that, that, you should do that. Right. If you, if you're a, a fan or a grad of the 14, 15, 16 seed team, talk, talk your trash. So they win. And, and what's interesting is then that shortly after this, our university president um, has been telling people, he wrote an editorial in the local newspaper, and he's, he's shared this on the radio, that the school has a, obtained a, a massive amount of publicity from this win. I wrote about this in Extra Points. I think that the last quote that he gave was $200 million worth of media awareness. Um, and and, and I, I don't want to insinuate here that he was being dishonest in any way, because uh, I, I, don't, I don't think this is true. But he was uh, the metric he was using. I want to make sure I'm getting this right. The advertising value equivalent, right? AVE. So he's, you know, basically saying, look, if we had to pay to get in the Wall Street Journal, to get on ESPN, to get on Yahoo, and have people like us talk about their school, it would cost two hundred million dollars. Um, and that's, I mean, that that's a great little soundbite right there, right? Like, look, this is why you start an athletic department, and here's why it makes sense to 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 go and move up to Division One because you get that, you get these all of these bonuses. And in my own life, I get that because I, I I attended a school with a similar athletic profile. Does that two hundred million dollars in advertising lingo necessarily equal two hundred million dollars in other value? Like, that's I, I I wrote about this here a little bit, and we can kind of talk about what I found, but. I guess, for, Brian, from what you've seen, do you think there's it's it's a linear uh, connection between March Madness upsets and other outcomes for a school? Does that kind of vary from school to school? What have you seen? Because you've been doing this for a long time. I do think it varies from school to school. And, and I think there's no question you can get a boost from a just the exposure, you know, just people under, hearing about your school. And, and, you know, every time you, you look at those graphics on, on the TV, they say, you know, where your school is, where it's located. I mean, that's kind of part of the March Madness TV deal is is there is a little bit of publicity there. There's obviously some uh, I think 30 spots included with with those um first round games as well for the institutions. But um, in terms of the overall dollar figure, I, I, I do have to question that, that $200 million figure. I mean, you'll, just the 30 second spots alone for March Madness, you're ranging. I mean, yeah, there, there's six figures worth, you know, you could get uh, up to 800 K uh, even over a million for the, for those final four uh, advertising spots on like big CBS. But at the same time, a lot of the, the, the conversation around Abilene Christian is also tied to who they upset. And so are, are you yeah. kind of riding that wave of, uh, yeah, everybody's talking about Texas. Everybody's talking about J- Shaka smarts job status, uh, you know, related to that. What, what happened in that game? You're getting exposure, but are you getting that connection 
to the academic side, actually students applying, uh, alumni giving. Yeah, there's there's definitely going to be boosts in, in alumni giving, which I think when you talk with development folks at athletic departments, they're on the phone right away after that upsets. They're selling tickets. They're selling, uh, you know, upgraded seats for the next season. You know, there, there is a boost from that. There's undoubtedly, when you look at those revenue sheets uh, coming out of, uh, you know, a March Madness game, you can kind of see, you know, the, the boost there. But in terms of that advertising exposure, I, I, I tend to doubt it. I, I think there will be um, certainly students that uh, are, are considering applying that uh, say, oh, well, maybe I'll throw my application in there. And, and you do get a little bit of a boost there. But, you know, at the, at the same time, you're still limited in terms of those number of slots that, that you're given out. And so I, I just I kind of question the, the 200K or 200 million uh, in, in terms of that exposure level. It, it is a good point that so much of this is tied to who they beat which is, it's hard enough to, to look at, at, okay, we want to get in the NCAA tournament and get a victory. And that's going to be part of like our marketing branding strategy. That's hard enough as it is. Cause so much of that's a crapshoot. It's a crapshoot to get in the tournament, crapshoot to get an upset. Cause it depends on your draw. It's a mega ups. It's a mega crapshoot to count on beating a program that has so much emotional cachet in that state. You literally could not have drawn up a better scenario for ACU. I went ahead and, and, and I've written about this a couple of times here on extra points. I think both of these are behind the paywall, but I'll give you a little bit of a tease, right? What is, is interesting to me about ACU specifically is that this is a very regional institution. I don't say that to be as a pejorative, like our country needs lots of different kinds of schools. But I went up and I looked up some of the data they have to send to the Department of Education. And it's about 88% of their student body comes from Texas. Um, And the bulk of their alumni still live in Texas. And it's the kind of school that's only really attractive to a certain kind of person, right? If it's a place where you got a dress code, you got to go to chapel, uh, you have a, a really explicitly faith-driven mission. Again, not pejorative. I'm in a BYU family after all. Just you're not, there's not a whole lot of people deciding between Abilene Christian and Berkeley and like Bennington, right? Like that student probably doesn't exist in droves. So you're getting all this national exposure, from, from people who are never going to send their kids to this school or are never going to go to this school or give money to this school or probably even hire a graduate of this school. My guess is that if you were just to look at pure ROI, they would have probably gotten more money from like buying three full page ads in Texas football uh, than they might have for, for some of this March Madness stuff, not in terms of reaching pure eyeballs, but in reaching the eyeballs of people that might actually have something to do with this institution. And that might be a different situation for a public school or a different kind of private school or institution that recruits more regionally or more nationally. And maybe that's the kind of school they want to be in the future, in which case that's great. It's a pretty small institution right now. Um, but the, the all of this is, is the, the phrase for all this stuff is, is called the Flutie effect. It's this idea, you know, named after Doug Flutie uh, throwing the, the Hail Mary pass to beat Miami in the regular season, applications and donations and everything jump at Boston College. And we've seen this with other schools within college basketball and a little bit in college football. But it's um, it's not nearly as big of a boost as you might think, and it doesn't last as long as you might think either. Well, I, and I think there are two good examples of where it, it's not just one upset. If, if you can keep building, there, there is some real momentum behind this. So you look at Alabama and, and their admissions. Look at the out-of-state admissions 
in Alabama. I, I don't have the figure in front of me just yet, but you look at the. It's very significant. It's, it's a significant increase since Nick Saban arrived and they started winning. Now Alabama, you know, flagship institution in, in that state, obviously uh, a huge, rich history in terms of college football. But in terms of the out-of-state attractiveness to to going to Alabama, it skyrocketed over Nick Saban's tenure, and they've grown enrollment for the overall university that way. And that means out-of-state tuition, which means more money, and the you know follow-on effects from there. You can look at Gonzaga. Look at how Gonzaga has really built up their brand through the NCAA tournament in part, but they've really um, you know become a, a very prestigious university and gotten that recognition through all these tournament runs. Everybody knows Gonzaga now because of what they've been. This school almost closed 30 years yeah, ago. Yeah, it, it's remarkable. Like a, a, a Jesuit school in like the middle of nowhere Pacific Northwest, not near a major population center. These are the schools that close. Like Gonzaga, you're right. That is one of the best examples of how basketball has helped fuel academic progress and stability. And, and now they're, they're one of the more selective schools, you know, certainly in that, in that Pacific Northwest region. And, and you look at the way they've just progressed in the tournament has, has further increased their, their recognition. Now they're getting five-star recruits to go up there in that basketball program. You know what? The, the same is going to apply towards the academic side because, because they're getting that extra attention because they're on TV more because you're able to kind of have that, ex, that extended ex- exposure. It, it helps on the academic side as well. And so uh, I, I think those are two, big examples that you can kind of point to with the Flutie effect that do have some real world implications, not only from the NCAA basketball tournament, but also from college football. That, yeah, I mean, to be fair, Alabama has been heavily recruiting out-of-state students since before either of us were born. This was something that, that, that goes back to Paul Bryant. It goes back to before the school even desegregated because there aren't enough or there weren't enough students in Alabama to support the school. They would go up to New York and, and, and pull people in. They've been more successful at it now, Clemson is, is, is another good example of this. You, you can draw, I think, a pretty, a, a pretty straight line there. Um, now, this all being said, if it was easy to be Gonzaga, more people would be doing it. Um, consistently, one, hiring one of the top five coaches in the entire sport, hanging on to him for a decade plus, perennially winning games um, in the NCAA tournament, making deep advances, destroying your conference. That's not a blueprint a lot of schools can follow. I think there might be some schools that might try to talk themselves into that, just like on the football side. Yes, Alabama and LSU have, have reached significant financial rewards from uh, their postseason and regular season success. You're probably not going to be Alabama. You might not even be South Alabama if you're an FCS team, but that's not going to stop some people from trying. No, but you, you and I, I think it's important to also keep in mind that just in the the short term effect, and, and like I was talking about a, a little bit earlier, the to be, have your athletic development folks to go out there and and be able to go to donors. I mean, sometimes you you got to fundraise for a new building, and whatnot. That that impetus for those big donations uh, can come from just the euphoria that those do, those donors get from being a part of these March Madness runs. And, and I'm going to be fascinated to see as we kind of come out of this pandemic. I, I've already seen the NFL, Roger Goodell kind of said we're going to have full stadiums in the fall i'm very curious to see how these athletic departments come out of this march madness come out of uh certainly a a disjointed college football season and and turn that into some momentum because i I think it's it's kind of an unkept secret is is the amount of donations that they got from either second season ticket deferrals um you know season ticket deposits that they turned into donations um that was a lot higher than i think some people were expecting a lot of people you know when the pandemic
you know, started and yeah. there were a lot of restrictions on, uh, you know, going to games. Obviously there are people who are skittish just in terms of catching the virus. Um, but you know, some of those, those donors, they, they rolled those donations over. Um, schools had a, a you know, budgetary wise, it, it was not quite as bad as they were anticipating in terms of, they, they thought they were going to get no ticket revenue. Well, they still got some in the form of some donations. So I, I think it's going to be fascinating to see how they can turn that into some momentum going into the fall uh, and especially coming off March Madness. One place where the research doesn't show as big of a jump in, uh, in admissions attention and everything is with a, an upset with the women's basketball tournament. And I, I suspect that a big part of this is because they're not advertised the same way. You don't get quite the same amount of PR if you pull off a 5-12 upset in the women's tournament as you do the men's. And I wonder if that might change in the future, given how the explosion in popularity and um, supporting infrastructure around college women's basketball. It is a better product now than it was uh, a decade ago. There are more schools that can like can legitimately have strong programs. There's more parity. There's more depth. There's higher level of athleticism than there was 15 years ago. And that's a positive thing. But I think the last couple of weeks have also very painfully shown there's a lot of very deep inequalities in the way that this tournament is is uh, promoted and in how it's actually operated. You've probably at this point, I'm sure, seen all of the tweets. Uh, and I, I think these disparities ranged from deeply troubling to so stupid you almost had to laugh. Obviously, on the troubling front, we find that the men's tournament and the women's tournament had different um, COVID tests. And uh, the NCAA is saying, well, they're, they're, they're both accurate, they're, they're, but one's which one's much more expensive than the other. And that was one that the dudes got. Uh, I'm sure you saw a picture of the different weight rooms where the men's weight room uh, in Indianapolis looked like you might expect a Planet Fitness to look like. And the women's weight room, uh, legitimately, this is not an exaggeration, uh, is worse than in my basement where I have a yoga mat and uh, some heavier weights and, and, and one bench. It was something that you would find at a third tier Marriott in like... <sighs> Carbondale, Illinois, you know, some, some fourth, you know, tiny, tiny tier kind of place, a, a complete joke. And then the swag bags, the, the, uh, the placement of ads on the, uh, and, and branding on the actual court, even down to the jigsaw puzzles where I saw that the men's jigsaw puzzles were, had more pieces than the women's like hilariously, uh, on, on, on every level, it's very clear that one tournament was given more thought uh, than the other, which has led to many individuals, including my mayor here in Chicago, I, I think this morning, calling for Mark Emmert's head. What do you think about that? Well, I, I think it's a lot of issues. And we saw some several coaches kind of come out and, and say, look, yeah. this this has been going on for a long time. And, and it certainly has been. And I, I know the, the, the folks on social media want to put, well, look at the revenue. You know, listen, the NCAA, as much as they do care about revenue and money is a driver in a ton of decisions, you know, at their core, it, it is not. You know, well, they make three dollars and you only make one dollar. So you're getting, you know, less than them. like th that is not kind of their their, I, you know, mission for existing. It, it is to bring some equality. It is to produce, um, you know, moments like like we've seen in the NCAA women's tournament uh, these, these last couple of weeks. I mean, just phenomenal basketball on the court. And, and I think it's you know really reinforcing that this is a, a growth area for the NCAA and for really women's sports in general. I mean, you're seeing, um, you know, soccer internationally uh, with, uh, you know, women's soccer and 
particular is, is really starting to grow and, and take off. I think the, the same is happening certainly with with the women's basketball. Um, you know, you're seeing the WNBA. I mean, it, it seemed like it for years and years it was struggling to get by, but now it's kind of got some real momentum behind it. It's on ABC, you know, quite regularly. It's on ESPN quite regularly. You're starting to see more and more, especially with these conference networks, televising women's games uh, in terms of women's basketball. And really, it's, it's at all levels. And I think the the quality issues and, and the equity issues, you know, really were just so glaring because it, they, they were bubbles. You know, this was not comparing Indianapolis and a team that was, you know, down in, you know, Boise uh, for, for a regional. I mean, you can kind of understand different parts of the country, different, you know, setups. You can kind of understand that. But because they were two bubbles and, and two bubbles that were really, you know, uh, designed by the NCAA uh, to, to house all the teams, it, it was just, it, it just kind of put it all on a platter. And, and the NCAA really, not only did they, they kind of shoot themselves in their foot with this and, and really not live up to their mission, but um, the, the lying the just the, the double talk, the trying to get out of it, especially from Mark Emmert. Um, you know, I, I think that turned out a lot of people off. And I think it was almost more galling to hear them. Well, it was a space issue. And then, you know, the student athletes come in and, and show videos of this gigantic space that they had where they could have had a weight room. Um, just really, it, it was shooting themselves in the foot twice. And that's kind of been the, the NCAA's MO the, the last couple of years, but uh, really did kind of put it on a, a just a, a glaring pedestal for everybody to see. And, and now it's starting to pick up some momentum. It, 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 all you have to do is, is do the bare minimum to prevent people from just coming in there and taking a whack at the easiest pinata in the world. I, 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 I kind of admit I'm a little bit hesitant to go like really hard into Mark Emmert must go. We must put his head on a pike and display it to everybody because I, I one, he wasn't the head administrator for de- developing the, the women's basketball tournament. And he, he's not solely responsible for these inequalities, um, but he does what the membership tells him to do. It's way easier, though, to pick on one guy and say this one guy screwed up than examine like, wow, it looks like actually the board of governors and all of these athletic directors are sending mixed messages about the importance of women's sports. Um, if you say, if you're going to lie, though, you got to make a better lie than something that can be disproven. It's like holding up your phone and checking. Uh, and to me, that what, what's been frustrating about this is I think it just speaks to a lack of attention of organizational attention into this particular event. If you stop back and, and thought for a little bit hey, we have a confined environment where people can't leave and they're going to be stuck in their rooms on their phones all the time. Sure would be a problem if we had something that they could hold up on their phone that made us look like assholes. Well, maybe we should not do that. But they didn't think about it. Um, I I suspect it's because they didn't really think it was that important. And when you have, I wrote about this too, if you have a bunch of schools that are not really in compliance with Title IX and at the institutional level have these same kind of inequalities and you send those leaders to head all these committees to build these tournaments, well, we, sh- we, shouldn't, we shouldn't be surprised that this is the outcome that we get. I- I'm, I'm hopeful that this outrage is directed into a manner that produces better outcomes. Um, but I think until you make some big changes on campus, even if Emmert leaves, you're, you're still going to have some some pretty significant inequalities with these tournaments, which there I don't think there should be. One, yeah, brings in more money. One also is promoted a lot more. Um, and that's also not the point because they spend a lot of money on stuff that doesn't bring in any money either. They, they absolutely do. And I, I think it is important to kind of go back to there's 
the championship staff at the NCAA is, is really the, the the people on the ground that are designed to to put on this event. You know, they, they're the ones that are responsible for the design of those signs and, and making sure that charter flights are in, in place and, you know, really the, the day-to-day operations of these two massive events. And that's that's their job full-time. There's uh, a number of dedicated staff members in, in Indianapolis that, uh, you know, take care of these championships. And, and it's not just for, uh, you know, the Division One men's and basketball team. They, they've got swimming and diving and, and all of that, and, and they are responsible for putting those on. But at the same time, the, the, the buck stops at the top. And, and Mark Emmert and, and the uh, not, not just the resources dedicated to the women's basketball tournament was lacking, really just the the focus and, and trying to make it an event that that it is not only capable of being, but uh, it should be. And it should be held up as not just the the alternative to the men's basketball tournament, but really an event unto itself. And I think that's where a lot of the frustration uh, has gone from uh, those on the women's basketball side. I would also add that I think the athletic directors, the, the people whose day-to-day job is is to be heavily involved in college athletics, they are not happy with Mark Emmert. They have not been happy for years with Mark Emmert. This is a a really putting it on a platter for the rest of the country to see how unhappy they are. And and I think uh, the presidents who do not have hands, hands-on experience with athletics from a day-to-day perspective, I mean, they're, they're running billion-dollar universities, right? They spend a small amount of their time on athletics. It's a huge headache for them, for, for a lot of them, especially in, in yeah. some academic circles. But uh, at the same time, this, this, this is the thing that will get you fired, but it's not the thing that you're trained to administer when you get this job. Exactly. And, and those folks have a very different opinion of Mark Emmert uh, than the folks that are actually running you know, athletics. And I think that speaks to what has changed under his tenure more than anything since Miles Brand um, is the presidents have become much more hands on in terms of running the NCAA, number one, and dictating policy. That used to be left largely to those committees full of athletic directors, the the, the wonky folks that, that did have the hands-on experience in terms of guiding things. And I, I think we've just seen that the presidents really have dropped the ball, and, and Mark Emmert has too, not just with women's basketball and this issue in terms of equity uh, between men and women's sports, t- priorities at the, the, the front office uh, in, in Indianapolis, but the, the legal b- bills are piling up. A lot of that could have been taken care of years ago if they had addressed issues like name, image, and likeness. Maybe we wouldn't get a, a, a Supreme Court hearing on Wednesday uh, for, for the Alston case. You know, I, I think there's just a ton of things that Mark Emmert could have been leading, could have really shown some leadership on that he hasn't. And I think that is where a lot of the frustration lies and why I think if you ask an athletic director that they would love to see some change at the top in Indianapolis. If you ask a president, they're probably not even so involved to to have an opinion on it. It reminds me a little bit of the power dynamic within the Pac-12 and Larry Scott. Exactly. Over the last year or two. Right. Like here's the guy that fans hate. And it's not hard to find an AD to text you something about why they think this guy sucks. But the person, the people who actually control his job liked him. I mean, they liked him until they didn't. Um, and, and that's, I, I think, a similar situation that we see we see here. I unquestionably agree with you that Emmer and senior administrators in this organization in general have failed to act quickly on a lot of structural changes facing the NCAA. Uh, that's why we have the Austin situation. That's why we have plenty of other big structural questions that make content for you and I and are big billion dollar, maybe trillion dollar existential questions that didn't have to be this way. 
Um, and that sucks if you're a college administrator and that sucks if you're uh, like student athlete. Um, and if you are a reporter, um, at least you have a gajillion things to talk about, I guess, because because they, they weren't especially forward thinking. Um, I want to quickly talk here about our sponsor this week. Speaking of existential questions here in money, um, we have a, a really exciting sponsor. I think for this episode that can help contextualize some of these big existential questions and some of the money throughout this industry. Uh, I'm excited to, to let you guys know about a new event that's happening from one of our sponsors here from the University of Texas Sport Management Program of an upcoming conference that all of you can attend called Playing the Long Game. The Playing the Long Game Conference, which will be start here on Monday, April 12th, will join all kinds of sports industry professionals and academics and students all across the world to discuss some of the current trends and future of the entire sports industry, not just the collegiate sports industry, but the professional sports industry too. Uh, it's the first long game conference presented by the University of Texas. Everyone's invited. I plan on attending. You can join too. You're invited to join the panel discussions, uh, to hearing about the immediate and long-term impact of COVID, about some of the other innovations that are happening in this industry, and the long-term future of changes within diversity, culture, and ethics all throughout uh, all throughout all of athletics. Uh, the keynote conversation is going to feature former NFL Commissioner Paul Tagliabue. It's going to there's a couple of other big heavyweights here. It will begin on the 12th, and will continue on the 13th and the 15th. Uh, for a complete list of all the panelists, all the sessions, and free registration. Again, totally free. Don't have to be a conference commissioner or a coach or a university uh, academician to, to get to be able to participate in this conference. All of you are invited. Head to the uh, longgameconference.com. You can also find uh, a link to that in the two recent free editions of the Extra Points newsletter. Hey, speaking of the Extra Points newsletter, uh, that's who sponsors every episode of Going For Two. That is the text home uh, of a lot of these kinds of stories here. And if you like this podcast, you're going to love Extra Points. Extra Points publishes right now four days a week, digs into all of the nitty gritty forces that shape college athletics. A lot of the conversations that we've just been having here stem from earlier issues of the Extra Points newsletter. Um, over the course here of April, we've got some stories coming up about esports, about uh, other small conference broadcasting agreements. Uh, about uh, some of the other big nitty-gritty finance changes that are happening here. We're going to dig more into Alston, all of this stuff here that shapes who's good at sports. If you are not already a paid Extra Point subscriber, I got good news. Um, we have a special discount code for you. If you head to www.extrapointsmb.com slash go for two, that's G-O-F-O-R, the number two, that gets you 20% off a subscription. That lets you get an annual sub for under 60 bucks. Um, it gets you four episodes a week, gets you access to our Discord channel. Uh, it helps you make sure you never miss an episode of Going for Two and helps support all of this stuff put together. That is www.extrapointsmb.com slash go for two. Um, as always, if you want to sponsor future uh, episodes of Going for Two, drop me a line at sales at extrapointsmb.com. Um, speaking of Mark Emmert and speaking of money, the other big uh, you know, rumor around the campfire of these past couple of days is that beyond messing up operationally with the tournaments and beyond uh, exposing the NCAA to potential long-term litigation risk by not planning, um, there's some argument that the NCAA straight up screwed up 
the most important funding source for the entire ter- uh, operation, and that's the money for the men's basketball tournament. You know, people forget the NCAA itself does not really make money from big time college football. They don't control big time college football. They make their money from the NCAA tournament, which is locked up long term uh, on CBS. And, and Brian, my understanding is that not everybody thinks that was the right move. Yeah, I know. I, I think our, our uh, pal uh, Pete Thamelin over at Yahoo wrote a column on, on this subject. And and it's it's spot on because, look, you look at the value of rights deals nowadays. Everybody is getting a huge increase. And well, everybody at the top is getting a big increase. Yes and no. I mean, I, I think there, but even you see some of these streaming deals, um, you know, that, that I think was just not a source of conference revenue years ago. That is now at least on the books for some of these smaller leagues. I, I think, you know, the, the rise of ESPN plus flow sports for, for certain conferences, um, you know, they, they are at least paying some sort of, uh, you know, six figure plus deals. And so I think there is, um, you know, some growth there that, that I still think can be realized, but you, you look at the television side, of, of March Madness. I mean, I, I was looking at the ratings today and, you know, just from those early Sweet 16 games, uh, I mean, the, the it, as bad as ratings have been throughout really this entire kind of pandemic cycle, uh, March Madness was, was almost recession proof. You know, I mean, it, it, it still was coming close to those big numbers in a tournament without Duke, without Kentucky, without, you know, uh, North Carolina getting that first round exit. So the, the big blue bloods of, of this, this event were not there and yet people were still tuning in. I think it kind of reinforced that this is a great deal for CBS, great deal for Turner, but from the NCAA standpoint, it does seem like they left a ton of money on the stand on the table. And a lot of that comes down to Mark Emmert renegotiating the deal and extending it uh, with CBS and Turner early, you know, several years early. Um, and, and I think if he had done that and gone to market when it should have come up, um, you're talking about massive increases over what they, they should have gotten. I, I mean, you look at sports rights now, the NHL probably going to double, you know, what they paid. We, we already talked about the NFL doubling to $10 billion a year in terms of that TV revenue when, when their deals start uh, next year. So it, it's just the, the amount of money that is being pumped into sports is, is higher than it ever has been because these companies know that that's the one thing they can get uh, subscribers with, whether they're, they're streaming services, um, to get the ad- advertising revenue from live viewers. It, it all comes down to those live events. And what better live event than the NCAA tournament? Because you not only have uh, a lot of focus on these games, but there's a ton of tonnage as well. You know, there's a lot of games to broadcast. That means a lot of ad spots. Uh, people are taking off work and doing brackets. There's a whole industry around the March Madness uh, that that pops yeah. up this time of year. And I think the NCAA ultimately left a lot of money on the table and everybody's kind of coming to realize that right now, as we look a little bit closer on those issues that Mark Emmert has, has frankly blown. Yeah. I, I know looking back at this, I, I honestly understand the argument for extending it because if we go back to what we were thinking, maybe like 2016, 2017, there really was some uncertainty about what the television market was going to look like in a decade with, okay, to what extent are people going to be cord cutting and to what extent are new um, uh, you know, companies going to enter the, the bidding marketplace and how fractured is everything going to be? And can you create a unified package that's worth a lot of money? And I, I think one of the quotes here from the Yahoo story was like, the NCAA is not in the, the take risks business. They're in the risk mitigation business, if I'm paraphrasing this correctly. And so, sure, extending things and making sure that you have a deal that, that gives you solid increases and is worth a lot of money. I get it. I'm not so, I mean, like, you're, I, I think you're right. And it's interesting, if I recall correctly, even amid a year where ratings for sports almost entirely off, off, across the board went down, 
other than like the WNBA. I think the Sweet 16 ratings were either better than they were last year or around that same level. And you're right. That's with mostly non-blue blood big time television programs. You're right. No, no Kentucky, no Duke, no North Carolina, um, no Kansas. Um, so that's a really positive sign. I understand that you don't necessarily make every single decision from the NCAA purely from the perspective of maximizing revenue. I know that there's some people listening to me that are laughing right now. I know it's what they do most of the time, but there are some things where that you don't explicitly, that you have other considerations here. That does seem to be a misstep. And what they've done with the women's tournament and not taking that to market seems like a misstep. Because to, to go back to your earlier point, like you are right, the big time uh, live events are still very valuable. Um, and the ones that are going to market now are seeing big increases. The NFL got a big increase. The Big Ten, which will go to market what next year, is likely to get another big increase. My, my estimates are you're looking at per school payouts in the $70 million potentially, um, which is banana grams, right? Um, over the last couple of years, you've seen some of the smaller schools on the college side, uh, like Conference USA, had their deal decreased uh, in part because their membership changed a lot, but those increases have been more modest. You have seen as flow sports has entered this market or other streaming places, uh, streaming entities enter the market, a little bit of an increase on, on the bottom end, but it's the big time brands that are gobbling up the money. Right. Um, but this is, you're right. This is, this is a big time brand. This is uh, arguably, I think inarguably the, the biggest college athletic television event even more so than the college football uh, you know, playoff because it goes on for a month and it attracts casual interest unlike anything else. It's always going to be a national event. You're going to bring in a ton of people who are going to watch it just because they're gambling on it instead of basically the Southeastern Football Invitational featuring special musical guest Ohio State. It's, I, I, this argument makes a lot of sense. Like if you, if you took this to market in three years, I bet you'd be seeing a lot more of a two or 3% increase year over year. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you just mentioned gambling. I, I mean, how, how with states legalizing that across the country, how, how big of an event can this even become? You know, when, when you talk about, um, you know, entities like Fox, which do have those tie-ins, uh, you know, William Hill, William Hill is tied in with CBS right now. I mean, the, these media companies are part, either partnering with or, or owning stakes in gambling. Uh, you know, we just saw a merger with DraftKings and Vison, like the, the amount of gambling content, uh, this, this is like Nirvana. And, and you know, I, I was lucky to, you know, years ago, go back to the NCAA tournament, uh, when, you know, and, and go to Vegas, one of the great experiences, um, you know, just to not only to, to bet on games, but, you know, just the atmosphere that you have in those sport books for March madness. Yeah. And, and that's going to increase, you know, really five, five, tenfold. And I know there's, um, you know, some, certainly some hesitancy, um, in terms of connecting college sports with, with gambling and all the, the quote, Gee, I can't imagine quote-unquote ills that uh, you know come come from that, but I, I think there is the understanding from a media property that is a huge value boost for the NCAA tournament in particular for a lot of those reasons I just talked about. A lot of games, you know, a lot of attention, um, you know, and, and really it does kind of you know reinforce that the, the deal itself, um, while it might have been good at at the be the beginning, the tail end of this deal is really going to be an issue. And I, I think it for some perspective, you know, this this is the, not only the NCAA's greatest money maker. I mean, you look at the distribution uh, that they give out for the, the schools. I mean, this is really the entire source of that. They're, they're not making a whole lot of money in terms of putting on those other championships. They, they 
have sold to ESPN, not only the women's basketball tournament, but really every other championship, College World Series, you know, you name it, uh, it has gone to ESPN. And so I think that that is separate. They, they do get quite, you know, uh, that is a million dollar deal uh, with them. But at the same time, that if you spun the women's tournament off and, and went to market with that, uh, I think there would be a lot of interest with, um, you know, in terms of televising that for a lot of the reasons I just, just sure. talked about. And you look at the, the, the conference distributions out of the uh, 2021 uh, standpoint, uh, you know, if, if you had doubled your revenue, uh, it would mean huge things. If you're the SWAC, if you're um, Conference USA, like you just talked about, you know, th- this is a lot of their lifeblood is that NCAA tournament revenue. And and could you imagine the cost of units if you're going double, you know, instead of 600,000, you know, every year from, from your unit, you're getting 1.2 million. Just think of the increases that you can have in terms of those investments for athletics, the, the, the decreased reliance on, on potential donors, um, you know, and the whims of those donors. Um, at the smaller level. So it, it just it is a huge knock-on effect. And yeah, a, a bigger TV deal probably is not going to hugely impact the Ohio States and, and the Michigans of the world. But for those smaller schools, this is a huge deal. And, and they have every right to be really upset at not only the NCAA, but, but Mark Emmert for doing this. That's a great point. And it kind of speaks to the extra points ethos here that Ohio State is one. I went to Ohio State. There are many more not Ohio states than there are Ohio states. And and it speaks to why it was the NCAA went to such enormous lengths to make sure there was a a men's tournament this year, because more so than honestly, football, the the missing out on another one of those tournaments would have been financially catastrophic to the NCAA's membership, which includes a whole lot of not Ohio states. Uh, And, and you're, you're absolutely right. If the, if the value of an NCAA tournament, unit went up 60, 70, 80, hundred percent, that would have an extremely significant impact on hundreds of, of institutions. It would not make or break Tennessee. It would not even make or break Oregon state. Although, I mean, again, this year is good, you know, good for them and good for the PAC 12 for the, the, the extra, the extra cash coming in. It might make or break Richmond or Weber state. Uh, or, or many of these, many of these other schools in, in, in single bid leagues. We're going to talk about this, I think, more moving forward. We have uh, some other. I've been, I've been making some phone calls and some text messages. I think you are too about some bigger picture television issues with the NCAA, maybe with some specific conferences, some other platforms. That I think we're going to address in some future episodes. Um, I'm, I'm excited to watch how both of these tournaments end. Um, I'm, you know, there, there's, I guess, a chance of, of a labor, a labor stoppage. I, I personally don't think that's especially likely. And some of that talk is a little bit of wish casting, uh, I suspect from academics or, or reporters rather than the reality on the ground. I could be wrong. I am wrong sometimes often, but I, I don't, I don't think that's likely to happen at this point. Um, it should be some, should be, should be some strong basketball and setting up for a very eventful April, uh, which we'll continue to talk about here on going for two, which you can find. Anywhere that you download your podcasts, in particular, uh, let's say most of y'all are getting this from Apple. I would love if you wrote uh, a little review. If you click that five-star button, um, that'd be great uh, to help more people find this show. And you can uh, that, that, that helps support it. That helps bring in new listeners. That helps bring in new advertisers. Uh, helps make this a more sustainable product. Uh, Brian, where can people find you? As always, uh, on Twitter, Brian D. Fisher, B-R-Y-A-N-D-F-I-S-C-H-E-R. That is the best place to find me. Wonderful. Uh, 
in that case, everyone, thanks for listening. This, this, this has been fun. It's been a fun couple of weeks. We'll be back in touch with you again soon.